is the Stagger Podcast. Welcome into the Stagger Podcast. I'm JD Smith. He's Derek Smith. And we are staring at a weekend full of hot Atlanta, which no one in Atlanta actually calls it, but that's okay. That's what we're calling it. It's fine. Everybody just breathe. We'll get through it. We'll be okay. Uh, it's not just Atlanta, though, Derek. We've got NASCAR action with trucks, Xfinity, and the Cup guys at Atlanta. But we also have this little series called IMSA that's back mm. for the 12 hours at Sebring, and we are equally excited about both. Right. I'm pretty pumped, man. 12 hours at Sebring, and you get a chance to watch uh, not just the prototypes, but the GT cars going around that bumpy circuit that is always a handful <laughs> and always slick if it rains and the fans are usually wild and crazy too so it's a great time down there in sebring yeah. in the middle of, of the swamp in the middle of the state uh it's one it's on my bucket list to go watch that race oh yeah for sure hashtag respect the bumps that's uh their big deal so we're excited for that uh we'll talk a little bit about those races uh we'll give you a little preview action and then we will also talk to a guy that we're really excited to have on the podcast he is a veteran podcaster in his own right justin fiedler you may know him from Open Red if you're a Dirt Track fan, if you're a World of Outlaws fan. Maybe you've listened to that podcast. That is uh, his his pride and joy. He created that along with a lot of the stuff you see on the World of Outlaws website. Uh, he has now since moved on. He has his own website called Dirt Tracker. Uh, but something else you might know him from, he has pitted in NASCAR uh, rear tire changer for multiple teams over the last 15 years, including currently with the 43 car. Uh, so we talked to him about working for Richard Petty, working with Bubba Wallace the last few years, mm. now Eric Jones there. What's it like jumping over the wall and changing a tire? What does he think of the new one lug nut, single lug wheel that they're going to next year? Really cool conversation we had with him, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. So yeah. I'm yeah, looking, I'm forward, looking to forward to hearing it. I was not available for that conversation, so JD took that one over, and I heard it w went very well. Yeah, So I will be fun. just like you listening to the rest of the podcast, <laughs> wondering what they will say next. And I'm going to be listening with bated breath and uh, hoping that there's plenty of Bubba Wallace stories because that's what I would, that's what I, the request is that I made. I don't know if it got fulfilled by our HR department <laughs> and passed along to JD, but let's hope so. Yeah, there were, there were some, there were some uh, cool stories there. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to ruin it. So just check that out. That'll be coming up in just a few minutes, but first let's, let's talk a little bit about the races this weekend. So in first hot Hampton, <laughs> yeah, right. It's not in Atlanta. It's technically in it's Hampton, Hampton, Hampton yeah. Georgia. Denny Hamlin's going to be starting on the pole. He will lead them to the green flag. He'll be joined on the front row by Martin Truex Jr., who won last week. Then you've got Joey Logano and Brad Kozlowski starting in the second row, uh, Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson. So it's like teammates. You've got Gibbs guys. You've got Penske guys. You've got the Hendrick guys. Uh, defending Atlanta winner Kevin Harvick starts seventh. It's all the names you'd start to think this time of year would be there. Christopher Bell, William Byron, our AKA Bill Byron, Ryan Blaney. Uh, that is your top 10. So there you go. And our guy, Quinn Hauf, who we talked to last week, he will be starting 35th in that eight ball chocolate whiskey Chevrolet. So mm. there you go. I, I, I want to have some of that chocolate whiskey right now. <laughs> Not going to lie. Yeah. It mm. sounds good after a hard day's work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a fun weekend. We got trucks, Xfinity, NASCAR cup. Uh, one thing, too, I don't think we've talked about this, but Bill Lester is making a comeback. Oh, uh, yeah. Truck Series veteran. He's going to drive the number 17, uh, David Gilliland truck. He's going to have a backing of not only the local Ford dealers in town, but also uh, Tommy's Express Car Wash 
and the series title, the, the, the series title sponsor, Camping World, has jumped on board as well. Uh, so he's also kind of hopping back in to uh, promote his book as well. He is one of those trailblazer type of drivers. A uh, hell of a nice guy, too. I've met him before. and He's just a fantastic gentleman. Um, I hope he does well. Uh, he's, he's raced in IMSA. He's raced in NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, he's a wheel man, as I say, and uh, hopefully he'll get a top 10 this weekend out Atlanta. It's going to be a tough task, though. A lot of, lot of good trucks out there. I'd love to get him on at some point, talk to him on the podcast. He has a book coming out, Winning in Reverse, Defying the Odds, and Achieving Dreams. He is now 60 years old, is Bill Lester. So that's awesome mm. that just in general to get into a race car at 60 years old, or in this case, a race <laughs> truck. But uh, yeah, he is... He's great. 142 Camping World Truck Series starts. The last one of those came in 2007. Yeah. That's a long time to be out of a truck. I mean, so when, when that's I cool that he's race, getting back in. Yeah. When I saw him race, he was in Mansfield, which is now, which used to be dirt, then got paved over, then yep. went, is now back to dirt. Yes. Um, right. So I've seen him race <laughs> and that was a, a while ago, but yeah, um, in the truck series. But yeah, it's. It's going to be a phenomenal weekend of racing, and I'm I'm pumped. Let me real quick give you some cup odds for you just to keep an eye on. I mean, we're not going to do our full preview that we usually or sometimes do when it comes to fantasy stuff, but let me throw some names at you that are at the top of the heap when it comes to just betting odds to win the race. Kevin Harvick, plus 550. No shock there. Defending champion. He always runs well there. Martin Truex Jr., plus 650. Kyle Larson, plus 650. So those guys are like you know, six and a half to one is more. That's not an odd, but that's basically what it is. Uh, Brad Kozlowski and Denny Hamlin, both at seven and a half to one. So any of those guys that you think. I got Carl Larson. I mean, he, it, it, he's, he's looked the most threatening driver away from the restrictor plate tracks this year that I've seen. And I think that he could really go out and light a fire. Uh, if, uh, if we're, if we're not, if, if we're being, a little, uh, a little predictive here. I think he may be one already one of my top four drivers to make it to the chase this year. Well, certainly after after the last few weeks, I don't blame you for thinking that because he has really oh, yeah. come on strong in the last few weeks. And you know, you won in Vegas. This is going to be a track that a lot of the similarities of Vegas are going to be there. You obviously have to be able to hook the bottom most of the race to be able to be fast. I'm sure he'll be able to do that. If he can get his car control, I mean, if he has the car being able to go where he wants it to on the racetrack, then yeah, he'll he'll be one of the favorites for sure. I wouldn't sleep on Denny Hamlin either. I think he's been sniffing around, getting close to a victory, hasn't gotten one yet. I think you'll see he could be one to watch as well. A couple other guys they have is kind of like a good mid-tier value. Ryan Blaney, which, you know, Penske cars are finding speed. Perhaps that will be good for him. He's 16 to 1 odds. Uh, but a guy I would really keep an eye on. I told you he's really far back, right? Tyler Reddick coming from the high 20s, like 28th or whatever it is, is 80 to 1 to win this week. Mm. I mean, it's going to take, you know, I, what I what I could see is if they get some good, quick drive off of restarts and then get some fortunate pit strategy and get up in the top 10. If that car comes around like it did at Homestead, not that this track is the same as Homestead, but there's some similarities there. I think if you can get around Homestead, you can get around Atlanta. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. keep an eye on Tyler Reddick at 80 I'm, to one. I'm just saying, I'm just, just saying, saying, Tyler Reddick, he he might be worth it this weekend. You know who else is 200 to one? And Who's that? again, we were talking about Homestead. This dude was lightning quick for a large portion of that race. Chris Boucher, Christopher Boucher is Chris 200 to Boucher. one. I'm just saying again, this is a segment called I'm just saying. 
brought to you by Derek and JD, where we <laughs> just say guys' names and go, I'm just saying, and then we don't actually saying, play, play, place the bet. I don't know. All right. But there you go. Those are a couple guys to keep an eye on for you in this week's race. One other thing, let's switch gears, talk about Sebring. Yeah. Um, the uh, GTD cars, they are doing a little bit of a different deal here. The GT Daytona class is going to do qualifying that involves championship points. And they're going to actually have a two-part qualifying session. Each segment is going to be 15 minutes in length. Uh, the first one, you have to have a silver or bronze-rated driver in your GTD car vying for a race starting position decided by the best time lapse. Fastest qualifier earns the Motul Pole Award. The second segment mandates a driver change, likely to a platinum or gold-rated professional driver, uh, to determine the team and driver qualifying points. Again, those are set by the fastest laps turned. So... It's kind of weird, but if you're interested in the very in-depth intricacies of GTD qualifying, that's something to keep an eye on. If you got NBC Track Pass, uh, that's something you could definitely watch, and I I look forward to yeah. seeing. I think that's kind of cool. So you're, what you're saying is that you could have a team that has a you know that has a driver that is an amazing uh, gentleman driver. Let's just say mm. they get the pole yeah. because he, he's lightning quick, but their pro driver is adequate. Uh, let's say so. So you could have a car that starts. That's a good pole. word. Adequate. Where you're not saying he's bad. You're just like he's adequate. He's or adequate. or what more? What more than likely is going to happen is you're going to have an adequate gentleman driver. <laughs> you're going to have a stud Andy Lally right. you know, pro driver who's going to rocket up the charts, but then still going to have to start tenth or, mm-hmm. or eighth in the in the race because he won the second part. He got the points, but the race is set on the bronze and the silver guys. So. Let's let's real quick talk about too the guys we're gonna watch in the DPI class. Um, I know you've got your eyes on Kevin Magnuson. You are the Kevin Magnuson fan club on yes. this show. Uh, President, CEO. yeah, he's he was uh, not critical, but you know, basically saying it's not good enough for just to go out there and be fast and hope. You know, obviously at Daytona they had a flat late in the race. They were coming on strong. Could have maybe caught up and won the race. Don't know, but they had a puncture and that pretty much ended their day as far as a chance to win the race. Um, but he was saying, uh, I was reading an article from Marshall Pruitt on racer.com talking about how he's ready to get back to the track. And like, th- it's not just good enough to finish on a podium. They want to win, which is what you want to hear from a guy in F1 who could easily go out there and just say, Hey, I'm here to, you know, keep the team competitive. I don't necessarily have to win every race. No, he wants to, he's hungry for it. So I like hearing that. Yeah. I'm sure you do too. Oh yeah. No. And, and that, that defeats the uh, the person who would say, oh, he's an F1 guy who's just coming over here to cash a check. He's coming over here to win. And I think that's a fantastic uh, way to, to look at this. And whether he goes to IndyCar next year or not, whether he jumps back into Formula 1 next year with a new car or not, he's here to win. And I love the fact that he's uh, getting after it for Chip Ganassi Racing and trying to do his best to get some trophies and stack up some wins and become a champion. The guy, the guy that I'm looking forward to watch, guys that I'm looking forward to watch, uh, Jimmy Johnson and Kamui Kobayashi teaming up again. Cause that's the other Ooh. thing. Like, let's not forget that Jimmy Johnson is running two series this year. Like he's still running in IMSA and yep. he's also running the IndyCar series. So if you're a Jimmy Johnson fan, you get to watch him this weekend running yeah. with Kobayashi, the man who has set the fastest lap at Le Mans ever. Like my God, what, what, what a treat. <laughs> What a treat to see those two in the Ally 48. And don't forget this little, uh, you know, this little unknown IndyCar champion, Simon Pagano, who's the third driver on that team. 
Uh, watch out for them with the Cadillac power to get it done this weekend. I mean, you got all the all the legends, all the stars coming in. Uh, the 60 cars got Juan Pablo Montoya, Oliver, Oliver Pla, uh, Dane Cameron, uh, as you said, the 48 team. Uh, another one, obviously, you're looking at Ringer Vanderzand, Kevin Magnuson, Scott Dixon with Chip Ganassi in the 01. Who doesn't want to sit in the front of the couch and watch 12 hours of racing? Yeah. Absolutely. Unless you're actually at the track, that's a better option. 10 a.m. to noon, it's on NBC Sports if you want to watch. Then you have to hop onto Track Pass. Uh, It will then continue on NBC Sports from 7 to 10.30 p.m. So you won't get to see most of the racing throughout the day, but in the you you can get up in the morning, watch a couple hours, get some stuff done, hop back on around 7 o'clock and see the last three and a half hours. I think that's a solid bet there. And, of course, also you can watch – you could squeeze in the Atlanta races in between if you really just want to veg out all day uh, from the Xfinity and Truck Series. So very good stuff there. We're excited about all the racing this weekend, but we're going to take a break, come back, and we're going to talk to a guy who will be at the track at Atlanta getting sniffed by COVID-sniffing dogs, we heard. Uh, We're going to talk to (laughs) Justin Fiedler uh, uh, from DirtTracker.com. We'll talk to him about that and about pitting, NASCAR, Cup Series, and otherwise. Very cool stuff there. You're listening to the Stagger Podcast. Now joining us, he is the rear tire changer for the 43 car for Richard Petty Motorsports. Also has worked for the World of Outlaws for many years. Now has DirtTracker.com. It's D-I-R-T-T-R-A-C-K-R.com. He is Justin Fiedler. Justin, thanks for joining us, man. Yep, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show. You had a video you posted this week, which great follow on Twitter as well, because we just get to see some things that... You know, the TV broadcast doesn't typically show. You posted that video of your gas man... The mm-hmm. dance he's doing while he's holding, you know, giant fuel cans and kicking a tire back to the wall and making sure he gets every ounce of fuel. And while he's dodging you as you're ducking under his knees to, like, you know, change the tire right by his feet. It's it's a it's an incredibly like skilled dance that you guys do. And I, I'm just fascinated by it. Well, that's like something I've kind of tried to do at least here in the last couple of years with my Twitter account is, you know, I've got a GoPro on my helmet every week. And so I'm, you know, I'm videoing all of my stops. And then, you know, you get like that video you're talking about with Ian, our gas man, you know, that's behind the wall stuff. And it's like, there's little things that like are, are fun to point out because people don't see that stuff on TV. They don't see that stuff, you know, on, on the coverage and nobody's talking about those things, but there's so much going on. Um, and it's like, I like, I have fun pointing out those things because it's stuff that like, we almost take for granted, right? Like that's stuff that we do every single day, but like Ian, our gas man, you know, I, you know, talking about him kicking the tire back to the wall, like at, at, um, at Vegas, I had a bad pull and, you know, I, I, it didn't clear out how I wanted to. And I like, I didn't get it to the point where I needed. And he was right there with his foot to kick him back. And like, he bailed me out in that situation. We got done with the stop. And I just looked at him, I said, thanks. And he knew like exactly what I was talking about, but it's like in those moments, his awareness and like me and him have been together now for going on four years. It's like those little things, like he knows when I'm in trouble because he's got that gas can plugged in and he's looking down at me to see what I got going on. And he sees me have that trouble. So he's there to bail me out. It's, it's like when you work with a group of guys like that for the amount of time that we've been together, that's how you have fast stops. That's like that chemistry and those little tiny things um, that people don't see, like that's how things go really well. What, now that you've got a new driver there, Eric Jones obviously comes in, Bubba moves on to 2311 racing. Is there any type of difference? This may be a dumb question. Like as the car's coming in, are there little things that you have to work on, especially in the first few live racing situations where 
maybe there's a little bit different way he approaches or is there really just there's no way a driver approaches because every track is different every situation is different I know they have marks that they're supposed to hit but are there any little differences you've seen between all the different drivers you work with or is it all kind of just a mixed bag every single time uh, there are definitely tendencies for sure. Uh, you know, it depends a lot on, on, like you said, racetrack and, and, you know, situational, like, you know, at Homestead, we had the 24 behind us and, you know, we're coming around the 24 all day. So it's, you know, we're not going to get the car straight in the box exactly how we want it. So, you know, that kind of changes up how the behind the wall help is. Um, but Jonesy did a really nice job and, and it's so important when you're coming around a car for a guy to put himself in a position where he can then get back out. Because a lot of times if there's a car in the box in front of you, like we had a lot that day, you get too deep in your own box and then he can't get back out on the backside of it. So it's like, even if you have a, fa a fast pit stop, you're just completely killed because then he's either got to back up or pull out really slow and it just kills any progress you made. But what we want as pit crew members is I want you to bring the car in hot and lock it down. Like that slide with the wheels locked up, you know, it might look wild. It might look crazy, but that's how we can judge the car the best. And then the other thing is, is when the wheels are locked up, when, you know, when you got your front changer brake in the right front, I'm coming around the right rear. Like I'm looking for that first lug nut. And as soon as I can get my eyes on that lug nut, the better off we're going to be. And Jonesy's done a really nice job here the first few weeks, just kind of as we're kind of getting used to him, um, that he's doing that. He's bringing the car in hot. Like this week at Phoenix, we got lucky with our pit stall pick because, you know, we'd finished well the week before. So we got a good stall. Um, and, you know, we had open in and open out all day. He's bringing the car in hot, doing exactly what we want, nice and straight, locked down. Um, and we got an opportunity in the offseason to work with him a little bit. He did come to practice and, and we got to see a little bit of kind of what he's about. But like a guy like him, you know, he's he's won cup races. He's been at a good organization. Like you don't expect him to have issues in that area. Like he, he knows what needs to get done. And, and you know, it's nice to be able to jump in and, and have a guy like that that's talented like that that can just jump in and, and do what you want right away. I was uh, looking through some of the history of some of the different cars you've worked with. I, I see it's been everywhere from... <laughs> you know, you were with Jermaine racing for a few years. You were uh, front row for a year. Marcus Ambrose, I know you were there when the, when he won some races on the road courses. I mean, that yep. that's a that's a lot of different drivers and a lot of different personalities and all those things. How much do pit crew members get to interact with drivers? I know that you you have a good relationship with Bubba Wallace, but I know that's not always typical because sometimes drivers have you know they're they're more involved. Sometimes they're not like. Is it, is it just kind of also the same deal, like a mixed bag? Everybody's a little different? Yeah, for sure. I, I've had drivers that I pitted an entire season for that didn't know my name. Um, and, and, and then you go the other side of it where you've got a guy like Bubba that I, you know, I, I love Bubba. He's a great guy. Um, and, and he's somebody that I will be friends with for a long time. But, you know, it just it kind of depends on the guy, depends on the situation. And, and, you know, a guy like Casey Mears, you know, you talk about me working at Jermaine, like Casey's a good dude. You know, I, I knew his wife a little bit and, and, you know, he's back out in Arizona now, but like, you know, he, he's one of those guys that you could stand in the hauler and have a conversation with. And, and, you know, it's, it really just kind of depends on the guy and the driver and, and Jonesy, we're kind of, you know, kind of trying to get to know him. And it's like weird right now because of the COVID stuff, so right. it's like you can't yeah. really be around him a ton, but I'm, I'm super interested to like kind of get to know him. And, and his girlfriend is Holly Shelton, who was a USAC midget driver. So like, I would love to have some conversation with her because of the <laughs> yeah. dirt stuff. So, uh, but yeah, it's been all over the board. Yeah. Well, I would say like, that's, yeah. Anytime there's those connections to the dirt scene too, it's gotta be nice to be like, Oh, Hey, Hey, hello. I know what you do. I know what, I know what that is a little bit. So that's, yeah. that's always gotta be good. Um, speaking of the COVID stuff, like I saw that there's new technology. I had no idea about you're going to have COVID dogs this week in Atlanta. That is 
like I am truly impressed. I had no idea we had dogs that could sniff this stuff out. I am a big fan of dogs, so I guess you guys are all going to be getting sniffed when you walked in. But hey, man, if that gets us into the track and it gets things going, like I'm all for it. Like I'm, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that's it's great to see the fans starting to come back safely as much as we can. But what's that been like for you guys to you know? go to the track and not see those interactions and not even have the same interactions you usually did with, you know, with, I'm sure with your drivers or with the team in general, like how's this been the last year? It's been wild. And, and, you know, the, the COVID dog thing, I didn't even know that was a thing. We, we, we kind of get alerted to this stuff, like kind of in advance of the media and stuff. So we, we heard about this a couple of days ago, but um, I didn't know it was a thing. And I went and Googled it. And apparently like the Miami heat have been doing this to like let fans into, into American airlines arena. And so I, I'm all, I'm with you. I'm all for it. Like, I, you know, if, if they want to let a dog sniff me so that we can go back to some measure of normalcy, like cool, like no problem. And like when we, we pulled into Las Vegas, uh, whatever, a week ago, you know, you, you roll through security and, you know, you got to flash your hard cards and all your stuff. But, and, and like they have a station there where they pull you off to the side and a dog sniffs the van. It's a bomb sniffing dog. Like that's pretty standard. So I don't know why this is really any different than that or getting patted down security wise. But either way, if it helps us go back to normal, yeah. I'm here for it. But, you know, the mask wearing and like, you know, the some of the protocols we have to go through has certainly been different. But like at this point, I mean, we've been doing it now for almost a year. Um, it's kind of just old hat at this point with that stuff. It's pretty normal. But it's it's very strange, you know especially early on when we didn't have fans in the stands to like go pit a race where all of a sudden there's no people and like the Daytona 500, for example, right? Like that's a race that's always packed. There's 150, 175,000 people there. And it's like, there's no experience like that. When you walk down pit road before the Daytona 500 and all these, all these fans in the stands, and then you show up this year and it's like, they're at 30% capacity, something like that. It's just so different. Yeah. Um, and, and the complete lack of people on pit road, like normally there's all these sponsor people and fans that have pit passes and all of this. And it's like, there's just none of that now. And so it's, it's, it kind of took a little while to kind of get used to that. And it's like one of those things where it's like, you're kind of used to it, but you don't really want to be used to it. Because you want all of that stuff back. You want the fans back. You know, it's like that's what makes the sport what it is, is, is the fan interactions and, you know, the, the opportunity for those people to, to see what we do and to understand what we do. And, and I'm, I'm, I know most people are, but I'm certainly ready for things to kind of get back to normal. Oh, me too. Yeah, we got the vaccine scheduled uh, just a few hours ago, actually, here. We, we found out we were able to start getting it. So <laughs> it's been like a, this weird rush, like running over of like, oh, yeah. Let's there's go. a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're <laughs> we're getting there. Kids yeah. are going back. Like it's just it's good. It's it's life is getting better and that's good. And we yeah, we miss racing, of course, being able to go there. Um, my brother got to go to Bristol last year for the uh the all star race and that was he had a little fun with that. But yeah, man, I it's, love Bristol. Yeah, Bristol's great. I didn't get to go last year. I usually get to go with some buddies. I'm in a uh fantasy league called the dick trickle racing league which they're gonna love the fact that that i'm telling you about that but they have been dick trickle fans for you know obviously many years before he passed and all that and so yeah uh this is this is a league that's been going on for over 10 years now and i had to get invited and then i was on a wait list before i was able to be in this league so (laughs) but i am the defending dick trickle racing champion so i just want to put that out there it was it was a good year last year so you get like a trophy or a belt or something no i well actually yeah hang on can't Let's see this. I can't believe I said that I didn't when uh, I definitely do. Have, oh, that's awesome. I have the Heilig Myers number Heilig 90. Myers car. That's the Ford Taurus right there. Yes. Oh, yes. So, 
Yeah, and I actually, so that's the one they gave me, but then I went out and got all the 164ths of all my guys that I had because it's a draft. Like, we drafted. I have a little, uh, made a little track for them, and I got all the cars, and yeah, anyway, we're nuts. Oh, yeah. That's what I, <laughs> I like it. absolutely nuts. So, <laughs> yeah, hours and hours go into prep every year for this thing to try to get through draft right, so. Anyway, I used to I used to do that with fantasy football, and I was like, I got to a point where I was like part of three leagues, and the thing like just took over my life. I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I know, right? It is literally every weekend. It's there's a group yeah. thread. There's a live live dick is what we have, where we have a spreadsheet that actually runs all the scores live. We do it right off the NASCAR scoring. So anyway, I could bore you with that for hours. The point is, <laughs> we all go together to Bristol every year, the Dick Trickle Racing League, and we usually have fun. So we didn't get to do that last year. Hopefully this year we will. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Bristol for us this year, at least the all-star portion of it wasn't super great. That was when we got wrecked by McDowell, like right at the beginning of the open. And it was it was a bit of an ugly day. For yeah. Us. Yeah. Oh, no, we we definitely remembered that uh, around here because uh, my brother was very much like not happy. So and when when McDowell won the 500, I was like, Derek, how are you feeling about that? He's like, it's great. Good for him. That's awesome. Here's the like, bad thing too, though, right? Like McDowell's like a decent human being. I know. I know. He's. I've and heard a he's lot great. Of the guys that work on the 34, like used to work on the 43, like Drew the crew chief <laughs> was yes. our crew chief on the 43. Yes. And like the car chief, Jason Sheets was on our team. Like I like a lot of those guys a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I assume it's got to be one of those things. Well, just, I mean, you come from the world of dirt tracks where, I mean, my Lord, like there's, one week you're, you're about to kill a guy that like just fighting him in the pits because of something that happened on the track. The next week you're shaking hands going, that was a hell of a race. And then the mm -hmm. week after that, you're back at it. Like it's, it's gotta be an up and down thing. I mean, how, how do you guys as, as pit crew members, how personally can you take some of that stuff? Do you internalize those incidents on the track or do you just have to kind of be like, all right, that's between those guys. I'm just here to get the tires changed and I need to stay disconnected a little bit. How do you, how do you personally manage that? I, I kind of do the disconnected thing. It, you know, the, the drivers, if they want to have a pillow fight after the race and push and shove and slap each other, like whatever, that's their thing. I'm not getting in the middle of that. Um, and, you know, it, it, like mentioning the 34 deal, right? Like those guys, I'm friends with those guys. Like I'm not going to go start a fight with Drew who by, let, let me remind you was a college wrestler to start out with. Like I'm not getting in the middle of that. Um, yeah. But you kind of disconnect from it a little bit. And, and like, I can't control what happens on the racetrack and, and even like our performance, I, I can't get too upset when we're running 25th or 27th because I don't have any control over that. Like the only thing I can control is what happens in our 18 by 30. And so like when the car comes in, you know, we're going to pit the crap out of it and and that's all we can really control. And I, I can't, I don't want to get too up. I don't want to get too down kind of through the course of the race, depending on where we're running and through the course of a season even. Um, so it's like, you, you kind of have to let some of that stuff go. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about how you got into this. Cause I mean, I work in radio and I always get the question like, how did you get that job? And it's everybody's answer in our business is very different. Some people, you know, went to broadcasting school. Some people just showed up at a radio station one day and they said, here, we need someone. And there they went off to a career. So how does it work in like the pit crew world? Like, did does, is that kind of the same thing where some guys come in from different ways? How did you get in personally? I guess let's start with your story and then how it kind of goes today for people who are getting in now, not 15 years ago. Yeah. So for me at the time, I moved to Charlotte after I graduated from college and was like literally sleeping on the height of bed in my parents' living room. And I was working nights at a FedEx terminal here. I worked at UPS in college and I came here and, and I was loading uh, package cars for FedEx, like, you know, from two o'clock till that's hard you know, work. Yeah. I, eight o'clock in the morning. People and don't know what that there, is. If you haven't done it, it's something else. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. 
I, I when I worked at UPS, I I unloaded trailers, and after like the first two or three weeks, I didn't have any fingerprints. <laughs> Because literally, like, you slide so many boxes, like, across your hands. And I tried wearing gloves, but you just wear the gloves out so quickly that I just said, screw it. But I, I didn't have any fingerprints. Like, I could have robbed a bank and nobody would have been able to, <laughs> to track it down and say it was yeah. me. But so I was working nights at FedEx, and there's a pit crew school in Mooresville, uh, pit instruction and training. They kind of have, like, their initial pit crew U program, which is, like, eight weeks where they teach you all of the basics, all of the fundamentals. And then they have kind of an advanced program after that. If they think you have some potential, they invited you back uh, to what they called five off, five on. And then from there, they would place you with teams. And so I went through um, the, the Picker U program in October, and then I got invited back for five off, five on. I did all of the off season kind of conditioning and training and practices and all of those things. But then when the season came back around, they weren't going to have a spot for me. Uh, they just didn't have enough deals and they had too many guys. So I actually left and kind of went and found my own deal. Um, and some guys that I had known um, were kind of going in and like back then there were kind of like some independent pit crew coaches uh, that you could kind of go that had deals and could help you out. So I, I kind of went that route. And then uh, my buddy, Kevin Hamlin, who spots for Alex Bowman, he was a development driver at the time for Ganassi. And so he kind of helped get my foot in the door over there. So it was like, I would literally, after I got out of pit crew U and, and was kind of past that program, like I would leave FedEx, I would come home, I would get my stuff in the mornings. I would go to Ganassi to do stops and kind of be part of their development program. And then in the afternoon I would go to Gin racing, which doesn't even exist anymore because they would let me come over there and do some stops also. So in between that, you're, you're like, you're networking, you're trying to meet people so you can get ARCA deals or Hooters Pro Cup deals or, you know, late models or, you know, whatever you could get at the time. And you're making, you know, you're making $200 to drive, you know, 16 hours to Iowa. So you could pit a Hooters Pro Cup race. And then, then you would turn right back around and come home. There was no hotel rooms or nothing like that, mm. but it was like, you just needed the experience. Um, and it's, it's not really like that anymore. Like, you know, ARCA and like Hooters Pro Cup doesn't even exist. ARCA doesn't do live pit stops. Um, and so, you know, very different the way I came up, but I, I didn't even like get to the cup level until 2010. So I started, I went through Pickery in 2006. And I didn't even like the first cup race I pitted was in 2010. So it was four years before I realistically had a chance at the cup level. And like, you just kind of got to battle and grind your way to the top, but it's just not like that now. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is the difference now? Like how, I know there's a lot of recruiting that I'm sure was going on then too, but how is it different now? If someone was like, all right, I, I really want to I want to follow the Justin Fiedler path. Is that even a path anymore? And, and what would you recommend for someone who does want to try to get into this? The hard part now is, is like things like Picker U still exist. Um, and there are like a couple of independent guys that will provide pit crews to some of the lower level truck series teams, some of the lower level Xfinity series teams, but it's very, very difficult to kind of get noticed now. And, and your big teams, Hendrick and, and, uh, Stuart Haas and, and RCR, like they, they've got kind of very specific pipelines on you. Like you've heard like Hendrick does, they do combines, like where they, they go around and they get college athletes to come in and they do all this testing with you. And then they basically sign you to a development contract. And then you're, you're kind of basically under contract now for a couple of years, they teach you everything, they get you experience, they move you up. And then once you kind of get to a point where you're better then maybe they'll move you up to one of their other cars and then you get an opportunity to have a, a bigger and better contract from there. So hmm. right now, Hendrick's actual kind of makeup is, is they've got some guys that have kind of come up through their program and some guys that they've kind of gone out and hired. Um, but it's so difficult now to just get those experience, like to get that experience. And like now it's great for a guy like me because, you know, we pit the cup series for Eric Jones in the 43, but then we also pit the 68 Xfinity car for Brandon Brown and we put the two truck for Sheldon Creed. And so any decent level Xfinity team and any decent level truck team has cup guys pitting it. 
So it's difficult to even really get high level experience unless you're with a big team. So, you know, again, it can be done. It's just very, very difficult. And, and not that it was easy when I came through, like I came through the pick, pick crew school. There were 25 guys in my class. I'm the only one left in the sport. So yeah, it's like, you know, the odd, like anything else, the odds are stacked against you. And when you're talking about this, like in the cup series, there's 40 cars that start a race. So that means there's 40 rear changers and 40 front changers. And so like the pool of people or the pool of opportunities is just very, very small. Yeah. And I'm quite sure that for most teams, it's like, well, do you want to bring on the guy who's never done this? Or do you want to go get one of the guys who's been doing it for a while? And is we know what he can do. Maybe he's, you know, not the fastest guy, but he's, he's certainly up to our standards, but he's not, you know, maybe the, the first guy that you call, but I'm sure breaking in and like you said, getting noticed on so many other industries now, it's like, well, you can just start doing it on your own. You can beg your way into things. It's like, well, what do you go to the grocery store and start changing people's tires in the parking lot? Like, how do they notice you? I mean, it's, you're right. It's, there's, there's only so many avenues for you. So yeah, it's very interesting. I'm always curious how, how people get into the sport. And I think it's the common theme I've learned for a lot of people is it's just you you go down there and you work your ass off until someone takes notice and then they tell you no and then you just keep going with it. And like you said, a lot of people just fade away because it's time to move on and do something else. And if you can stick with it, that perseverance goes a long way, I'm, I'm quite sure. So that's very yeah. cool. And I, you know, I, I have said this a lot too, even with the guys that I went through the pit crew school with and, and all of the people that I've kind of run across since then, I'm not the most talented guy. I'm not a college athlete. Like the, the, the only reason I stayed in is because I had the stomach for it and I was too stupid to go do anything else. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think, already I kind think... of committed to this and I loved it. So I stuck with it. <laughs> I think being able to ignore all the people that are like, when are you going to get a real job? Like that's yeah. at least in my field, that's a thing that you just, if you stick with it long enough, you end up with a good spot and it's probably similar in a lot of, a lot of things, not just NASCAR, but no, that's yeah. very cool. Um, well, the sport's changing, you know, you've been in it for a long time. Next year is big. I mean, as big as you've seen probably with the single lug nut coming in. I mean, I can think of very few people in the world that would affect more than the guy who changes the tires. So what do you guys, what, to what level are you guys being told about what's happening next year as far as but, you know, is there development going on for all that? Is it something where they're going to have to put less emphasis on pit crews? I mean, where are you guys at in that process of knowing how that's going to go now that it's going to a single lug? So I've seen the setup. Uh, I've hit a version of the gun. Um, the the issue right now is like, you know, at, at some point, like we have to wait for NASCAR to make the decisions on a lot of this stuff. Um, and, and the last I heard was that they hadn't made the final decision on what the actual configuration of the new pit gun is. So until we have that kind of decision, we can't really jump in and do a lot of practice. Um, I know some places are, are doing some things kind of with some rigged up kind of indie car type things with some of the wheels and, and some of the guns and things that are available kind of through those avenues. Um, so there's, there's some kind of talk and, and some action happening already, um, but to really kind of dive in and, and really kind of start to digest this thing, we, we still have to kind of wait for some decisions to be made. And right now there's only even a handful of these cars that have been built. Yeah. Um, so to be able to do pit stops, like we're going to need a practice car. So we kind of have to wait for some of those things to get done also, but uh, just generally, I don't like it. Um, it's not what we do. 
it's not what we've done. And, you know, they're trying to make things more production, more stock. Obviously, you know, there's an, a, a normal car riding around on the road today that has a single lug nut holding the wheel on. I understand the reasoning behind it. NASCAR is changing to a larger wheel. They're changing the materials of the wheel. Um, and from what I understand, the, the wheel manufacturer kind of recommended that they go this direction to help kind of with the longevity of the wheels and, and some of that stuff. So I understand the move. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of the challenge that it's going to present, I, I think, you know, we will probably have issues in the beginning, just like we did here a couple of years ago when we went from six man to five man. Um, and, and there have been other changes through the course of time. You know, we've, we switched pit guns and, and, you know, there's been stud change rules and you know, we went from seven man pit crews to six man pit crews. And so there's always been little things every few years that change that we kind of have to deal with. And initially we slow down. Um, but then as we start to figure it out, the times start coming back down. And, and this one is going to be a little different because we don't quite know yet that configuration of the gun is going to have a lot of impact on how fast we're able to do stops. Like if NASCAR allows us to run a ton of RPM and we can, you know, get those nuts off really fast then we can do really fast stops. Um, but if not, if they slow it down, then they can slow the stops down dramatically. So we're going to just kind of have to wait and see how that is. But, but like anything else, it'll be, you know, if it is slower, it'll be slower at the gate until we start to figure it out. And then the times will come back down again. Like we were talking about, you know, with six man, we were doing, you know, 10 second stops, 10 sevens, 10 eights at the racetrack. And then, you know, we, we go to five man with a new style gun and we're kind of dealing with some different changes that first year, 14, 15 second pit stops weren't out the realm of possibility. And now we're starting to get back down in the 11s again. So, you know, once we kind of start figuring things out, those times will come back down. And, and I think this will be the same way. Has NASCAR, I, I haven't followed this part of it. Have they said for sure that they are going to keep like the fueling configuration, at least somewhat to make it competitive as opposed to like in IMSA, it's not supposed to be a competitive pit stop. It's supposed to be a much safer pit stop. They take a little longer on purpose to get the fuel in. Has NASCAR officially said they're not going that route and it will still be like a, as quick as you can get, like you can get the fuel in, in the time you can change the tires. Is that still the idea? As far as I know, they're sticking with the current setup of, of having a gas man with a fuel can on his shoulder and the current heads and all of those types of things that we deal with. Um, I don't know what the future will hold for that beyond next year because, sure. you know, you start talking about things like electrification and some of these other things, you know, all, all, a lot of that's going to change. But I mean, I, I think at least for the foreseeable future that the fueling part of it, I don't think is going to change. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. I can't not ask you about the fact that your Daytona 500 last year you got like the unsung hero or I don't know a hero is the right word but like you got knocked over by a fuel can coming off of Chase Elliott's car and nowhere on the broadcast did it even get discussed they were just no. like oh look at that there's there's a fuel can there's Martin Truex hitting it no 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 thought of like how did it get out of the car but not stay in the hands of the guy fueling the car and the reason is because it hit you in the back as it yeah. was coming off of chase's car so yeah. i obviously you're okay but how did what was that like where you're, you're doing your job the next thing you know you've got a, a i don't know how much they weigh empty but it can't feel that good getting hit by that at any speed i would assume no. So I got up off the right side and it was just one of those kind of perfect storm situations where I was like, I was getting up at the right, at the wrong time or the right time. I want to say it just as chase was pulling out. And I, I don't think he was directly behind us. I think chase was actually one stall behind us. Um, but as he pulled out, as I got up to run around the car, I got to the right corner and I, I literally thought in my brain, like, cause I saw the red flash and I was like, is that a fuel can? <laughs> and then it was like literally the next moment I'm laying face down on pit road at the, at the Daytona 500. And then from there, it's just the scramble is on to try to get up and, and make the left side change happen. But um, it's, 
like not something you expect to happen. You know, obviously with pit road, anything can happen anytime. Um, and it's like the first time I've kind of been completely wiped out like that, even as long as I've been doing it. And I mean, when I say I was laying face down on pit road, I was literally like, I Oh yeah. I saw the, I like, saw the video and you know, they didn't yeah. really highlight it on the broadcast, but I'm like, Oh gosh. Yeah. He, he's definitely on the ground in a very yeah. dangerous position there. Like yeah, with cars going, you know, as fast as they go on pit road at Daytona, it's, that's harrowing. So that's amazing yeah. that you got up and you finished the pit stop after that. Like you finished. Yeah, oh yeah. No, I, I did. And like, so basically what happens is the can comes by, it basically just took out my left foot. So I, I you know, I'm trying to run all of a sudden I don't have one of my feet and down, you know, I go down like a sack of bricks, but uh, I finished the stop and um, it definitely, I have some issues with my toe now. I'm pretty sure my toe was probably broken. Oh, um, I, I was all black and blue for for a couple of weeks after that. And even to this day, my toe still like when I bend it, it doesn't feel quite right. There's some popping and some cracking that's Jeez. not normal. Um, but I mean, that's like what we do, you know, and, yeah. and I got up and I finished the stop and I finished the race and you, you move on. <laughs> I, I assume that's not the only close call you've had. Any other ones that, that rival that one or that were worse than that? Or, or where, I mean, where, I, where I, I've been in two fires. So those, are those are fun. Um, and then the other like really kind of close one is um, when I was actually working at front row, you mentioned front row, uh, we were at Richmond and Kyle Bush was coming around us. And we, it was one of those where we kind of met at the corner. And when you are in a situation like that, where you could potentially get hit, like the one thing you want to do is get off your feet. Because then at least if you get hit, you just kind of tumble. It's right. like when you're on when you're planted on the ground, when you're on the ground, that like that's when bad things happen. Yeah. Um, so I meet Kyle at the corner at Richmond. It's whatever, 2013. And I had my hand on the hood of Kyle's car just to get myself up off the ground. He'd already hit the tire that had come off the right, uh, off the right rear of our car. And somehow I ended up not getting hit, but there was a, a really cool picture, I think in Speedway Illustrated of it, where it's like, I have my hand on the hood with my feet completely off the ground in between our car and Kyle's car. And it was like, <laughs> it was such a cool photo. I wish I had it somewhere. I don't, but. But yeah, there's, there's been a few moments, uh, you know, kind of through my career where I haven't like luckily been completely hit by a race car, um, you know, rear changers. You're not usually in that situation, um, but I've had a few, uh, a few moments. I still like the word completely there where you're like, well, no, I've been hit, but not in a total sense, like just no. in a partial sense. Yeah. I, mean, like I just can't. Can, I, mean, I, I was technically hit by the fuel can, but like it wasn't the car that hit me. It was the fuel can that hit me. I, I've done like, you know, changing my brake pads out on my car and I just can't fathom like all like I'm like very careful with the jack and I'm like, OK, <laughs> we're going to take this lug nut off. We don't want to upset the car. And I can't imagine doing that on the freeway, let alone doing it in a competitive sense, the way you guys, it's just still like for car guys who like to wrench on their cars, even in a little bit, it's just, it's fascinating what you guys do. And you've turned it into a full contact sport where, I mean, it's, it's there, there's a method to it. If, and if it's not done perfectly, it's just like any, it's like running a play in football. I mean, if you don't do it right, everybody knows it and it, fails and then you get yelled at and then you're like damn it we've got to be better next time and meanwhile you're like trying not to get set on fire or hit by a car yes. not not something the nfl guys typically have to worry about so <laughs> just sure. fascinating um one thing i did want to ask you we talked about the covid stuff but last year obviously with bubba wallace there was a lot that happened at the track there too and and a lot that that the sport kind of rallied around bubba what was that like for you to kind of be in the center of just all of that i mean i know there were fans who are idiots but like did you guys feel that support when i feel like the majority of people were supportive and and stood with bubba did you guys get that sense or, or was that how did that make its way back to the team i guess is what i'm getting at 
Uh, I mean, you certainly saw the knuckleheads on social media and, and the stupid guy flying the the banner over Talladega or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you saw those things, but like for the most part, like things were really positive. Um, you know, the 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 people. The, there's a, a, a 43 fans Facebook group, right? And like these people are like the most hardcore petty fans. And like they buy you, like they buy the team lunches a couple of times throughout the year. Where it's like they'll order food for the whole shop, like just because they want to. And that's awesome. They did a, they did a deal a couple of years ago where we had a Victory Junction paint scheme and people could like make a donation to Victory Junction and, and they would put your name on a car. Well, the 43 fans got together and put enough money in to put like all of the employees on the car. And so like when you have like groups of people like that behind you and like they understand, you know, the the history of the team and, and some of the things that we deal with, it's like, when you have those people kind of picking you up through all of this, it's it's it makes it a lot easier. And, and to know that there is like even with the knuckleheads, there's still like some really just great people and some decent people out there that understand like kind of what you're up against. But, yeah, you know, for us as a team, there, there's no other move but to back our guy. Like, I oh, mean, sure. Yeah. This course. is our guy. We're, you know, like it's, it's like, um, you know, your, your little brother, right? Like nobody can beat my little brother up except me kind of thing. And it's like, right. this is my guy. We're going to back him no matter what happens. And that's just where we were. And, and, you know, even like running the black lives matter cart at Martinsville and, and, you know, all the crap that happened at Talladega and kind of all of the after effects of that stuff, you know, it, I wouldn't do anything differently than we did. Um, I yeah. understand why things happen the way they did. And, and, you know, the the situation has made the sport better and i i know bubba to this day still deals with a lot of backlash from that stuff but i think you know the first guy through the door always gets shot so you know he was kind of one of the first movers and i I understand kind of what he was up against but we were going to be behind him the whole way no it's all it's it was awesome to see the king you know showing up there and and saying i don't care you know i know about the covid and the risk but i got to be there for my driver that i think was just such a a touching moment that I, I will never forget seeing that, seeing him in the bandana too, where he kind of was like the skull bandit walking around with his cowboy hat and the bandana thing. Like it just, I don't know, man, he's just a total badass. at least, you know, looking at it that way and then showing up for his driver. I thought that was really cool for people who don't know. You worked for many years uh, with, you know, the world of outlaws with the group that, you know, runs the world of outlaws. So talk about that. Obviously if, if anyone's ever heard it, the open red, podcast is huge and that's that's your baby right i mean that's kind of something that you started got off the ground and much of their website too that's all that's all your handiwork for the most part right yeah so i was hired there in 2013 um and i mean i was the only web developer um and i you know i did all of that and then was doing social media stuff and digital marketing and all of these things so like you know basically if it was online in any way, shape or form, I was either the main person behind it or very, very deeply involved. And, and I always said that I was like the one person in the company who got to work like in every facet of the company. So I, you know, I was doing stuff for the outlaws and dirt car and super dirt car series and dirt vision and the membership program and all of these different things. And so I loved it. It was great. Um, you know, it was fun because you could actually have like a real effect on things. Like when you're the only guy, um, obviously you can make some cool stuff happen. And, and, you know, through the course of that time, you know, we, we redesigned the outlaw sites multiple times, made them better. Uh, we made a lot of improvements to social media and, and how they kind of handle things like the, the stuff you see them do today is the playbook that we put together back then. And my brother, Aaron worked there as well. He was a PR guy. Oh, awesome. Um, and so like, you know, the, the stuff that we kind of did is, is what you see them doing now that they've kind of built off of. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's nice to be able to have that effect and to make the fan experience better and, and to make the product better. It's, it's, it was really fun. And, and open red was, 
you know, we used to go to lunch. There's a, a, a pizza place not far from the World Racing Group office. And the, if, for those that don't know, the World of Outlaws office is, is in Concord, North Carolina. Like, you know, there is a NASCAR R&D building and literally up the block from the NASCAR R&D building is where the World of Outlaws office is. So there's a pizza place we used to go to all the time. And it, it would be me and, and Ross, who was my co-host, and then and Brian Dunlap, who's the, the main kind of broadcast guy there. And we would go to lunch and have these crazy, silly conversations about different things and like, I am a lover of podcasts. I, I podcast myself and I, I listen to them kind of nonstop and just kind of through those conversations and, and, you know, the dinner with racers podcast with, with Eversley and Sean Heckman was yeah. like just kind of coming out like when, you know, not long before we got started and seeing what those guys were doing, it was like, man, we should really do something with this. And, and I took it to my boss, Christina, and I said, you know, I think we should do a podcast. And, and I said, you know, I don't know if that's like Johnny Gibson, the series announcer doing interviews. I don't know if that's me and Ross kind of being a-holes or what that looks like. And she's like, <laughs> I like you and Ross being a-holes. Let's do that. That's great. Yeah. I just kind of stood there like, oh, and she was like, how quickly can you get this off the ground? And I guess I'm like, well, I, I guess we'll get started. Oh, <laughs> and it was man. like literally two weeks later, we had a show. The world, I'll tell you, I, I don't know anything else about her, but the world needs more Christina's. That's all I can say, because <laughs> that's so awesome that just, just the fact that you said, I have a new idea. And she was like, go run with it. Yes. That's, that's so fantastic. And look what it brought on. I mean, it, it truly is one of the unifying things I think in the world of dirt, you know, racing where, you know, you can be from all over the world, all over the country. And I guess all over the world, right. With plenty yeah. of guys from Australia, New Zealand that, that make their way over here. And you guys had to have a, a decent international audience, but certainly here as well. I'm sure you got plenty of traction with that. And, and it just seemed like everyone who followed dirt racing knew about that podcast. So it is funny though, to think that for all the, the, you know, pavements, what you use to get to the dirt track and, you know, NASCAR versus world of outlaws and all the fans that kind of go back and forth. It's like, you guys were right there in the middle of NASCAR land, you know, smack in the middle of all that producing a lot of that stuff. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And like, you know, for me, I, I you know, I, I was aware of dirt racing when I was a kid. Like some of the first races I ever went to was at a dirt track, but I grew up a pavement fan. My, my dad was an Earnhardt fan, so I was an Earnhardt fan. We watched NASCAR and I was aware of dirt racing. And my, my dad was a dirt racer in South Dakota when he was young. And so I was aware of it, but I, I wasn't super up on it. And Open Red for me was like a really fun way to like learn, right? Like I'm not going to come in here and pretend like I know all of these things. And I can, I can go on there and ask stupid questions because I'm the NASCAR guy that doesn't know anything. And so when I did that, it, you know, it, it didn't seem to, to matter so much. And, and, you know, working with Ross, like he's a, a really good buddy of mine. I actually just saw him. He, he works at Stuart Haas now doing, doing video work on the NASCAR side. So I stood, you know, this weekend at Phoenix and talked to him for a while. And, and the kind of moment where you realize that open red is a thing is like, you know, we have Steve Kinzer on for episode 100 <laughs> and like you get, you, 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 when you, you're early on, you have to like explain to people what you're doing, right? You're like, Oh yeah. I'm like, I work for the outlaws and we have this like podcast we're doing and you have to kind of try to explain it. But when Steve Kinzer comes in and you kind of start to try to explain to him what open red and he goes, yeah, I've heard the Carl Kinzer episode. Everybody's heard the Carl <laughs> Kinzer episode. And it's like, okay, we're good. We're good. Right. It's like, well, once you got that episode under your, and for those who have not checked that out, even if you know nothing about dirt track racing, go listen to Carl Kinzer. Carl Kinzer. Epic. <sighs> yeah. Absolutely epic. Right. It's just the characters that you have throughout the dirt track world from the Jack Hewitt's on all the way. I mean, even guys who are like more, I would say mild mannered, like not on the track, but like Jack Hoddenshield is not necessarily a guy that I would think is the most lively interview. But then you sit down and listen to him talk and you're like, my God, this guy's been all over the world for 40 years. He won a million dollars at a dirt track. Like 
just the things that guy's seen, let alone all the other characters you guys had. I mean, it's always good listening, always enjoyable, and still is for people who want to still check Absolutely. it out. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's like my favorite thing, right? Is like by the time I left, we were somewhere around, uh, you know, a million. 1,250,000 downloads or something like that of the show at the time I left. And obviously they're well beyond that at this point. And like, that's the fun thing, right? Is like open red was like, has become such a thing that it didn't even need to be me and Ross anymore. And like, now you've got Nick and Rob hosting and, and it continues. And and like, that's the cool part is that people are still super behind it. And it's not even me and Ross anymore. And it's like, that's, that's how, you know, something is powerful yes. and means something when, yeah. when something like that happens. Well, that's a legacy. You know, people will remember that for years, even after you've stopped doing it, which obviously you've moved on, but that's still great to have that legacy and, and people will not forget about that. So let me just quickly pick your brain about to bring it back to NASCAR for a second. There is this little NASCAR race that's going to happen at Bristol, but it's going to be yes. covered in dirt. I mean, <laughs> you, you get to look at it from both sides here, having tons of experience with these cars, at least, you know, with pitting them and seeing how they kind of interact, but you've also been clearly immersed in the dirt world. Like what do you expect out of this weekend just with the cup cars in general being on dirt and then with it being that track that happens to be covered in dirt. It's not like you're going to Knoxville or Eldora. You're you're at a pavement track that is now covered in dirt. Just both of those seem like could be a very interesting formula, to put it mildly. Yeah, I think you're probably in for some pretty wild racing. And I don't know, you know, how much people are keeping up with. So like what's going on this week and up leading up to the NASCAR week is, yes. is the Bristol Dirt Nationals. And there's eight divisions of racing going on. And like, you know, we're not even that deep into it at this point. We've seen some pretty wild stuff already. So I think, you know, anything is possible at this point. And especially, you know, we're not talking about a 30 or 40 or 50, even 100 lap race. We're talking about a 250 lap race. Like that's just something that just doesn't happen on no. It doesn't. So I think you could be in for all kinds of kind of madness and craziness. Um, and the wild thing is, is for me, like, I don't even know that I'm going because they're not doing traditional pit stops. Right. Yeah. It's not going to be live pit stops. Mm -hmm. uh, the positions won't change on yeah. pit road. It's going to be more of a, yeah, like a dirt track style pit stop, if you will, where everyone gets a chance to change, get back out, you keep your position, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so like, I don't even know, like, I know that they were still trying to figure out this week kind of what the roster was going to look like. And, you know, maybe they were going to take a couple of us, maybe they weren't. I'm, I'm, I'm still even not sure at this point, whether I'm even going, but it, it's going to be wild for sure. I think there's going to be a lot of cautions. <laughs> I think there's, um, you know, going to be a lot of action, but I, you know, in, in terms of who's going to win this thing, like, I don't know how you look past guys like Larson and, Christopher Bell and right. you know, if you want to go even a little deeper than that you know a guy like Austin Dillon uh, you know who has a ton of dirt experience and was always successful and you know at Eldora in the trucks but you know Larson is has been on another level he's in an incredible race car right now with with that five team at Hendrick so uh, I, I don't know how you look beyond uh, beyond him for for a win pick no I, I think that'll be everybody on daily daily fantasy will have Larson Bell and then it's the rest of them that'll make you the money but yeah. Speaking of those Bristol Dirt Nationals, I just saw this a couple hours ago. A 12-year-old yes. won a late model feature. Trey Mills <laughs> is his name. He won a 602 late model feature. Yes, I can't imagine someone younger than 12 has ever won at Bristol in any discipline of anything. So congratulations to what's got to be the youngest person ever to win at Bristol. And that's just night one of the Bristol Dirt Nationals. So, yeah. yeah. And then you've got a lot of the NASCAR guys who are going to run that as well to get some practice. I know Chase Elliott's going to be there. I think 
Kurt or Kyle Bush, I think, is running that as yeah, well. So Kyle is going to run this weekend with Jonathan Davenport as a teammate. That's right. Uh, Chase Elliott is running. Corey LaJoy and Austin Dillon are both there in crate late models. Um, I saw today Chris Busher is going to run. Uh, Joey Logano is running a modified. So a lot of guys are <laughs> are going to be there to get some to get some experience. Hey, yeah, it's an excellent idea for sure. Just of the guys you've watched on dirt, and I'm sure you've had a chance to watch any of them absolute favorite drivers to watch that are not current cup drivers. We'll put it that way. Um, so no Larson, no bell. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about something like midgets, like Thomas Meserol, like <laughs> yes. that, that guy yep. is just on yep. another level. He's full send all the time. Um, <laughs> yes, he and, is. you know, and, and he's a great interview afterwards. Um, another guy that I, I don't know that in the community, he has a reputation, but outside of that, I don't know that he has the reputation, but is Aaron Reitzel. Mm-hmm. Like that guy, you know, if you watched him the last couple of years winning these all-star championships and now out with the outlaws, like he is just full send, uh, you know, all the time. And like it's, it sometimes it works out really great and sometimes it works out terribly. But, you know, you are going to get your money's worth watching a guy like Aaron Reitzel for sure. Yeah. One of my favorite things is, is you know, growing up as a pavement fan and going to all these short track races, I love the contact and I love the elbows and, and all of those things. You know, guys dooring each other and all that stuff. And, like, you don't get a lot of that in dirt racing. You, you can't do that with 410 sprint cars because that ends up very badly. And it doesn't really happen much in late models. But where it does happen a lot is with the midgets. If you mm-hmm. want to see just knock down, drag out races, go watch a midget race because those guys, you know, if you, if you're talking about chili bowl or USAC national midget races or power, Eye, like those guys go at it. They throw elbows, they throw big sliders and they just don't care. And it no. is so entertaining. It is. It is truly entertaining. Then like at Lawrenceburg, a track like that with some big banking too, where it's just sliders all day long. Like it's, yeah. it's so much fun to watch. I agree I with it. you. Yeah. It's very cool. Well, hopefully we can catch it at a dirt track or, you know, maybe at a NASCAR race this year, but Man, it's been really fun talking to you. And uh, definitely yeah, before anytime. we before we get out of here, I just wanted to plug to dirttracker.com. Tell people a little bit about what inspired you to start that and you know what kind of you've got going on, including you have a daily podcast on there. Yeah. So Dirt Tracker, I took a computer science class and I had a final project and Dirt Tracker is kind of what came out of that. So Dirt Tracker, the kind of original idea was something sort of like a J-Ski for dirt racing, where it was like one place where you could go and kind of find a bunch of different stuff. So there's news there. There is updated podcast episodes. There are a bunch of YouTube channels and track listings and point standings and all of these things. And then since then, I've also added a complete analytics section. I've got something approaching 600 races between eight different series. Um, so there's you know the results and then all of these crazy stats and analytics things that I've built to go along with that. Um, and then I've also got a daily podcast I do Monday through Friday, 8, 10, 12 minutes, depending on you know the day and, and what's going on, where we just kind of do an update on all the things that are happening that day. And then I do a longer form like once a week, usually sometimes twice a week, where I'll do 30, 45 minute or longer conversations, which is kind of the people kind of what we did with open red but open red was very sprint car focused and and the the dirt tracker conversations episodes i'm kind of talking to just whoever the hell i want to talk to in dirt racing because it's my show and i can do what i want it's very cool um, yeah but yeah but that's uh it's fun and uh if you are a dirt racing fan i would definitely recommend checking it out yeah best way to remember it, dirt track the letter r.com that's uh, mm-hmm. where you need to go but it's yeah if you if you are someone who's trying to get into understanding that sport a little bit more you've got tons of great resources on there tons of you know stats to dive into and your daily podcast is really, if you want to just get eight to 10 minutes on what's going on, you can get it very quickly. Justin, we appreciate it. Best of luck the rest of the season. And uh, we'll yes, be sir. watching you with the 43. Thank you. I appreciate it. There you go. That was Justin Fiedler. Very fun stuff talking to him. 
Uh, we will talk to you guys next week, and we will be recapping Sebring, Atlanta, and getting you ready for Bristol Dirt. That's next weekend. So, yeah, lots to get to. Yep. We're excited for it. Till next time, stay safe and stay staggered. <laughs>